used in a different way because psalms are very poetic. They're very artistic. We looked at a, a painting and different things that you can understand about paintings. But there are certain things that a, a righteous man, a good man, a blessed man does not do. And other things that he does that characterize his life. And, and the biggest one that we found in that is how he deals with God's word. So the following week, that's when we got into the longest psalm. Who remembers which one that is? Psalm 119. Magnus remembers, and, and several others. Psalm 119, the longest psalm. And it is all about the Word of God. It's all about an a individual and how they responded to God's Word. And sometimes we look at Psalm 119, and it's just this big, long, massive, and it takes forever to read through. And yet... As you, as you begin to understand it, I use the example of a diamond. You guys remember that? And you look into this multifaceted gem, and, and no matter how you turn it or twist it or look at it, you, you find that it's just such a depth of beauty, and you can continue to stare into it for hour after hour. And that's what the psalmist did with Psalm 119. They had such a love and a passion for the Word of God that they couldn't help but describe it in so many different ways. You'll also recall that week, the children's message, we watched a video. Anybody remember what was on that? The alphabet, right? And already, just from one simple song, you've already learned the first two letters of the Hebrew alphabet, right? Alphabet. Does anybody remember the, the tune, at least, or anything about that one? No? Okay, that's all right. I used that song to be able to help me survive Hebrew class when I was in seminary. And so that, that song is drilled into my head. And it's amazing to me how songs can help us learn things and be able to understand and remember and retain a whole lot easier. Well, we went through the longest psalm. And then when week three, we went through the shortest one, which someone mentioned. Which one is that? Psalm 117. And I had a few people, uh, friendly, they were friendly comments, but they, they made comments like, you know, 176 verses, that's Psalm 119, and, and I was able to pack that into one hour, but, but two verses, surely this will be a nice short one. But the thing is, you start digging into it, and it doesn't matter whether you take a big chunk of Scripture or a little chunk of Scripture. If you start digging in, and you start trying to understand it, and, and recognize all of the gems that are, are packed into God's word, you find that even just two verses can declare such amazing things about who God is and what he's done. And we, we looked at who we're supposed to praise, right? Not, not just any God, but a specific one. We, we are to praise Yahweh. And who is to do that praising? And, and we found that's the entire world it's not just certain people, but everyone should praise God. And we, we dug into um, who, to, who to praise, who's supposed to praise, how we're supposed to praise, and why. And that's the one that really stuck, sticks out to me a lot. Why do we praise God? And we, we came across one of my favorite Hebrew words, partly because it's so much fun to say chesed, but partly because you start digging into what that word means, and it's loving kindness, but it, it's more than just the idea of, of being nice. It's, it's a superior who has no requirement to take care of an inferior, and yet they do. They're, they're gracious, they're kind when they don't have to be, but they choose to. And, and you dig in some more and you find out it's, it's something positive and helpful to that individual sometimes at a cost to the original, and it's completely undeserved. And so you, you start to understand this idea of hesed, and you find that, that God's loving kindness towards us is still on display. We just saw it in taking communion, the idea that Christ's body was broken for us. We didn't deserve that. There's no way that we could earn that, and yet he gives it to us freely. His, his blood was shared, or was shed for our sins. And he did that willingly. That's that idea of chesed. That's that idea of loving kindness. And so as you go through the Psalms, those are, are some of the words to, to notice and to pull out and to, to draw on and see. And that's who, who God is, who it is that we serve. 
But as we get into the laments, um, you'll, well, you'll recall I, last week I talked about genres, right? And I used food as an example because I like food. And it's really easy to have different varieties of food. And I use the example of like Chinese food and Italian food and Mexican food, right? But then obviously there's going to be times in which people argue, well, you know, there's Mexican food and then there's real Mexican food. There's like the authentic kind. And then you you start talking to those who know authentic versus Tex-Mex, but then they'll get into, well, there's like Northern Mexico food and Southern Mexico food. Now, I mean, we could get into all kinds of arguments and discussions about defining which genre the psalms are. And I don't, I don't want to do that. So I broke it down to just three main ones. Depending on who you read and who you talk to, there's all kinds of different ways. But the three main ones that I've identified that we're going to be digging through are hymns, which is what we looked at last week. Those are, those are really simple. We, we like to praise God. And it's easy to just, just praise God. That's a good thing. And yet... There's also thanksgiving in which we specify something for which we are praising him. We'll get into that one next week. But then we have this week's. And this week's can be a little bit challenging sometimes. They're referred to as the laments. If, if hymns were defined by their energetic, cheerful praise of God, then laments are defined as crying out to God. And as, as I said, I was initially a little bit annoyed with myself that I had ended up having Mother's Day on the same day as laments. But then I came to realize it makes sense. Many, many of the mothers, you'll remember times throughout your child's life when they were outside playing and they scraped up a knee. What did that do to them? Now, now, dads, we look at that, and, and not all dads, I know I'm generalizing, but dads, they'll look at that, and what, what do they say? Grab a little dirt, rub it in there, keep going, right? <clears throat> there you go, there you go. Man up, you can do this, keep going. But moms, what do moms do? Moms, moms will sit them down and, and take care of them, and they understand the hurt. And, and, you know, sometimes dads can be a little bit calloused on that. I'll, I'll admit, I am sometimes. And yet moms, they, they understand that hurt and they, they hear it and, and they, they feel bad because they love their kids and they don't want their kids to be hurt. But then um, I, I remember when I was a kid, I hated getting shots. And, and not to, to get into immunization or your opinions on any of that or anything like that, but sometimes you, you have to take kids in and, and things that are less than pleasant well, I remember my mom just loving me and caring for me and not wanting to see me get hurt. Even though it's for my good, it was unpleasant to get a shot. And so, you know, that was, that was difficult. And mom felt that. Mom understood the pain that there was to that. So being a mom, you, you get to experience all kinds of stuff of that nature. But what about, what about a best friend? Do you, do you remember your kids coming home and having their, their best friend and they're so excited about it? And, and the joy that that gives you to hear about? I, I remember very long conversations with my mom about my friends. And generally, I had good friends because my mom was, was very protective in a good way. She wasn't like the, the helicopter moms, but she was protective. But then sometimes I would have not so good friends. And, and the sorrow, as a kid, I didn't notice it. I didn't understand. But now that I'm an adult, I'm, I'm not a mom, never will be, and yet I understand a little bit of the sorrow that she dealt with as, as I got in with some people that she didn't really want me to hang out with too much. And, and the, the sorrow, the challenge that that was for her. I, I was thinking of other examples of what it is in, in a mom's life. Uh, the first date... And, and the fear that comes along with that experience, or maybe the worst date, maybe that time when, when the kid's like, oh, I, I found the one and it's going to be great, or the time when they find out that that's not a good one, and the heartbreak that it is. All of these emotions that, that come along with motherhood, and, and loving your kid and wanting what's best for them those are the kinds of things that happen with laments. 
And so as I began pondering on this and, and thinking about it, I, I came to realize, you know, laments make a lot of sense when it deals with, with motherhood because all the emotions, the entire breadth of emotion that can happen are what we see when we deal with this idea of a lament. Indicators as you go through uh, the Psalms, because I have been encouraging you, and I, I still encourage you, read through all of the Psalms. During this study, I wanna, want, want you to read every single one. I know that's a big ask, but I think you guys can do it. Um, indicators of it are things when, when the psalmist will say, I cry out to you, or how long, O Lord, or really any of the times in which he asks why, any, any type of why question. Those tend to be indicators of, of the laments because that, that person, that psalmist, is asking of God, like, what's going on? Why, why am, is, does my knee hurt because I scraped it? Why do I have to get a shot? Why does, did my girlfriend or boyfriend break up with me? Why, why, why? I mean, all of these, the human experience, are examples of, of what it is to be a lament, also, anytime that you see a statement about being attacked or expressing sorrow, those are also good indicators of a lament. <clears throat> now, it should be noted that there are times in which the reason that someone is lamenting, the reason that, that they're calling out to God is self-inflicted. They did something dumb. They rejected God's word, God's ways, and they went their own way. And they're calling out to God, like, why am I suffering? Oh, yeah, it's because I did this or I did that and didn't do what you wanted me to do. Those, those also fit into the category of lament, but they also have another um, term in which they are the penitential, like they're, they're giving penitence, they're, they're asking for forgiveness. Um, those are also a great section of Psalms um, and one that's worthy of study. If, if you look real quick at Psalm 51, I know we're going to get to Psalm 28. That's where we're going to spend our time this morning studying. But if you look at Psalm 51, this is probably one of the greatest examples of a psalm of penitence where, where David, this is written after David uh, sins with Bathsheba, and he's calling out to God. And, and he says, be gracious to me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the greatness of thy compassion, blot out my transgressions. And he, he goes on and he continues and he talks about some of those things. And so those are also examples of laments where they're calling out to God, but those are self-inflicted. Um, so we're going we're gonna to save those off for a different uh, unit of study. They're worth looking at. But today, what I want to dig into is one example of a lament and that comes in Psalm 28. So if you would, let's go ahead and turn to Psalm 28. <clears throat> now, this is an example of a psalm of lament, but it's not one of the, the major heartbreaking ones. There are some that are just, I mean, terrible things are happening. Pain from all directions. They're being attacked and all, all kinds of sorrow is happening. And those, those are great examples this one is a lot gentler. It's a lot softer than some of what we would see in the Psalms. But as, as I was thinking about them, I come to realize, you know, our life is filled with examples of, of things that aren't that big a deal. You know, as, again, maybe it's just the dad of, of me, but that scraped knee, not that big a deal, rub some dirt on it, keep going. And yet, what we find is that even those what seem to be simple things, small things, the psalmist cries out to God and takes it to him. And so, you know, sometimes as a dad, it's great to see my kids and their reaction to things. As soon as they get hurt, doesn't matter what it is, doesn't matter how severe, they come running for mommy or they come running for daddy. And, you know, sometimes maybe we should be a little bit more like that and go run into our father, to our heavenly father, and say, ooh, my, my knee hurts, my elbow hurts, my... Whatever it is, even the smallest, even the simplest of things. It's so easy. Uh, I've had conversations multiple times of like, well, all we have left to do is pray. Well, that's, no, <laughs> the first thing you ought to do. The first thing you ought to do. And so this, this is a good example of that. 
There's not this major event that he specifies as like, oh, it's so terrible and so hard. He's, he's just calling out to God. And, and we don't know specifically what the event was in this one. Uh, it is written by David, and so there's likely, you know, you could find any number of examples of bad things that happened to David along his life. He doesn't specify which one, which is part of what makes this a great example for us to dig into. Um, <clears throat> but it is him calling out to God about something. And so we're going to take uh, this time now and just dig into this psalm and understand a few things from it. As is normal, I'm probably not going to be able to get all of the details that come from this psalm. That's okay. Um, Again, my goal with the book of Psalms is that you fall in love with it and you have a desire to dig into it and study it. And so I want to give you the tools and I want to give you some examples so that you can go back and and dig through these passages and see what it is that God has recorded for how we respond to life when it happens. So, I'm going to read through all of chapter 28, and then we're going to go back and um, pick it apart and try and understand a few things from it. So, Psalm 28. To thee, O Lord, I call my rock. Do not be deaf to me, lest... If thou be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my supplications when I cry to thee for help, when I lift up my hands toward thy holy sanctuary. Do not drag me away with the wicked and with those who work iniquity, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Requite them according to their work and according to the evil of their practices. Requite them according to the deeds of their hands. Repay them their recompense because they do not regard the works of the Lord, nor the deeds of his hands. He will tear them down and will not build them up. Blessed be the Lord, because he has heard the voice of my supplication. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart exults, and with my song I shall thank him. The Lord is their strength. He is a saving defense to his anointed. Save thy people. Bless thine inheritance. Be their shepherd also carry them forward. First thing that comes up in the, in this psalm and in several psalms, depending on how your Bible is laid out, it will sometimes include a psalm of David right in the first verse, or sometimes it'll separate it out and hold it above it. Now, there's, there's some debate and there's, you know, that's one of those historical things and you get in, digging into those are put in as the title to these psalms. Um, there's, like I said, most of the time they probably weren't in there initially when they wrote the psalm because somebody was just writing out a psalm. And yet, you get down, done writing a psalm and what do you do? You put by so-and-so. And so, that's, this is a good example of that. <clears throat> now, if you, if you took my uh, study sheet, the supplica- uh, supplemental sheet and dug into that, you'll find that there's a preposition there, and it's um, just a little bitty one, and some people like to argue because they don't want to trust the Word of God. They want to argue that, oh, well, this was written of the style of David the, some thousand years later because they don't want the Bible to be true. Well, I hate to break it to them, but tough. The Bible is true. These, many of these were written by David, and so he signs them as a Psalm of David. That said, the same preposition is used in some others, and I put an example in there, um, of some others to say of a certain style or to a certain group or for a certain purpose. It's a, it is a preposition that's put there for that reason. Um, and I forgot to write it down. Do, does anyone who had the supplemental, do you remember what, which psalm I pointed to? I think it was 46, is that right? Okay, so... Psalm 46.1 is a really good example of that. So if you turn to that real quick. Um, In my Bible, it separates it out and puts it right above the psalm as a title to it. But wherever it is on yours, um, this one says, For the choir director, a psalm of the sons of Korah, set to Almuth, a song. Now, each of those has that same little preposition, of, to, for, and, and the reason that they're there is just to give indication. And some of those, you'll actually get into musical terms 
such as this one here, set to Almuth, and if I'm mispronouncing it, my apologies, um, set to that, it's telling them the way in which this song is supposed to be sung. That particular word is referring to by the, the women, basically. It's sung in soprano. So it's a higher pitch, it's a different type of song, and it's, it's sung differently. And if you know anything about music, you'll know that a lot of composers put that kind of information right in it. They tell you how fast it's supposed to go or how slow or whether it's really loud or really soft. And musical annotation today is a lot different than what they used to have. Uh, but the fact remains, that's in there just to give some indications of how this song was intended to be used. So they use that same, um, that same preposition to say that this one was a psalm of the sons of Korah set to Almoth for the choir director. And so that's who's supposed to be leading it and how they're supposed to sing it and all of that type of an idea. Well, back in our psalm that we're looking at today, in Psalm 28, it just says a psalm of David. And so the idea conveyed with that is a psalm by David or one of his that he's giving to us to be able to understand how he reacts to certain things that have happened. And as I've, as I've mentioned, the Psalms have all kinds of different reactions to different things that happen. And in this one, he's calling out to God. And he starts off then, verse 1, To thee, O Lord, I call. Now, we're going to pause and, and just notice a couple of things. He's not calling his friend. He's not calling his mommy. He's not calling to his generals for his, his battle array or anything like that. Who does he call out to? He calls out to God. Like, like, and we're going to get into this, and there's no one else that he calls out to. He's not asking for help from anyone else in dealing with this situation. He only calls out to God. And then we get into this, this word of call, and it is an imperfect word. Now, for those of you who are, are linguists, you've studied some of the ways that words are set up. Does anybody know what an imperfect means? Imperfect tense of a, of a verb. I know some of you have, have dug into this. No? Okay. You got it? Not completed. That's the, that's the part that I wanted to highlight on this. So he uses a term that doesn't mean yesterday I called out to you and now I'm just waiting. What's going on? Why haven't you answered? This is the idea of a continuous action. He, he called and will continue to call out. That's the idea that's being conveyed with this. It's, it's not that he's only done it once, but he's going to call out over and over and over again. Why? Because his only hope is God. He doesn't rely on any of those other things that I mentioned. He calls out to God. And then what does he refer to God as? He says, my rock, do not be deaf to me. And again, this is one of those examples of the, the poetic things that happen in the Psalms. Obviously, he's not saying that God is a, a hunk of granite, but he's creating this picture in our mind. Well, what is rock? It's solid, right? I mean, as soon as you hear that, God, my rock, it's like he's not moving. This is a solidness. And so, again, we don't know specifically what David is calling out for, but we can easily hear this psalm and start thinking of, okay, something's going on where he needs some stability. You know, sometimes our lives are the same way. The chaos and the, the craziness that's going on, and it seems like we're just constantly being pulled this way and that way and all of this. Sometimes we just need a solid rock that we can call out to right? Well, that's what he does. He says, to thee, O Lord, I call my rock. Now, I didn't, I didn't highlight it this week, but if you remember from last week, when you see Lord in most Bibles, most previous Bibles, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is the name of God. It's not a generic, it's a specific. We, we pronounce that as uh, Yahweh, there, others will say Jehovah, Yehovah. If you mispronounce it, I'm not going to make a big deal out of it, but it's the name of God. And they, they are very specific in who he is calling out to. Well, that's going to show up lots and lots of times throughout the Psalms. 
and, and always, when it's written in most English Bibles as capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it's using his name. And, and that's one of those translation philosophies that I don't necessarily care for. I wish they would have actually put his name, but that's beside the point. There are a couple of translations that do that, but that's beside the point. He's calling out to one and only one. He's not saying some generic unknown God. He's saying Yahweh, his God. That's who he's calling out to because he is solid. He is sure. He is a rock. He says, do not be deaf to me. Now, one of the things about songs and and the book of Psalms, there are so many allusions that take place, references to other things. And so as you read through it, there's nothing wrong with different stories popping to your head. Well, one of the stories that pops to my mind on this one is when um, Elijah is up on the, the hill on, on Mount Carmel, and there are all of these other prophets of the other gods, and they're calling out, and he's standing there kind of laughing at him, like, what, is, is he deaf? Can he not hear? Well, obviously he can't, because false gods can't hear anything. And so here, David is saying, don't be deaf to me, because God, Yahweh, The Lord is a living God. He is one who hears. He is one who is capable of answering. And so even from the very beginning, from verse 1, we're already seeing that there's a confidence being placed in God. He's not going just last-ditch effort, maybe, hopefully, perhaps. He already is expressing a level of confidence. To thee, O Lord, I call my rock. Do not be deaf to me. Lest, if thou art silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Now, that word silent, that's the same um, imperfect tense. Which So he's, he's saying, you know, if you don't listen and continue to not listen to me, if you're silent and continue to be silent to me, I'm going to become like those who go down to the pit. Now, again, I, I mentioned there's nothing wrong with different ideas and thoughts popping into your head as you read through Psalms, because oftentimes they're, they're pointing to other things. When I, when I read that, lest I go down to the pit, what comes to your mind? Hmm? Hell, okay, death. That's where we have to be a little bit careful about what comes up and how we interpret some of these things, because that's me too. When I, when I read through this, my first thought, if I go down to the pit, I'm like, okay, if I'm, I'm going to die. If you don't answer me, I'm going to die. That's not quite what he's saying. The pit is a, a cistern, a well, an empty hole in the ground. And, and yes, he can be making the reference or the allusion to lest I die. But I think there's something a little bit more going on here. And I, I started digging into it and looking at it. And what is a story from the Old Testament, that you know of someone who gets thrown into a pit? Joseph, right? The story of Joseph and his brothers throw him into the pit. Do you, do you think that Joseph was crying out and worried and concerned? I, I don't know. Again, I'm, I'm not saying that this psalm is specifically about that. Please, please understand that. But as you go through a lot of psalms, there are all kinds of illusions and ideas that are being referenced that they knew all about. They knew the stories of the Old Testament. And what would it be like to be betrayed by your brothers, thrown into a pit, and then sold off into slavery? That'd be pretty tough. And I could imagine through all of that being like, God, if you don't answer me, I'm, I'm going to be like Joseph. And that, that's not fun. It's not pleasant. And yet at the same time, I wonder, I don't, I don't know for sure, but I wonder if maybe he's still expressing a level of confidence that I'm going to follow you regardless, just like Joseph did. I'll follow you. I'll trust you. But it's not pleasant and it's not fun. And that's the thing about the elements. You know, life is tough. And there are some things that we look at and, and it's not fun and it's not enjoyable and it's not desirable. We don't want to have to go through And yet, we ought to have this confidence, this idea where the first thing we do, no matter what the situation, whether it's as bad as that or or much, much less, no matter what the situation, our first response ought to be to cry out to God. To thee, O Lord, I call my rock. Do not be deaf to me, lest if thou be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice 
of my supplications when I cry to thee for help, when I lift up my hands toward thy holy sanctuary. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not saying that he is making this allusion to Joseph. We don't know necessarily what all he's, he's focused on with that, but that is a good example of what it would be like to be cast into a pit with, with little hope, with things going bad, and yet he cries out to God, and he has confidence that, that he will be heard. And so the next verse, verse 2, he says, Hear the voice of my supplications. Now, in, in Jewish culture, that word here, shema, is a very, very significant one, a very important one. Um, <clears throat> it's not just the idea of, of listen or, or hear, have it go in one ear and out the other. It's a request for action. It's like pay attention to and do something about it. Okay? So what is, what is he asking for there? He's saying, hear the voice of my supplication. Well, last week we looked at that idea of chesed, where it's a superior doing something nice to an inferior. Well, what is a supplication? That's a request from an inferior to a superior. And it's saying, you know what? I, I'm weak, but I know you're strong. I'm incapable, but I look to you as my rock, as my solid, secure place. And so please do something. Answer my re- request. Answer my call and my cry. Listen and pay attention to and take action based on rather than leaving me helpless and alone as if I were in the bottom of a cistern, a, the bottom of a well with, with no hope. I can't, I can't dig my way out. I can't crawl my way out. I can't get out by myself. I need you. That's, that's what the psalmist is saying here. I need you. And so when we come to this idea of laments, of sorrow, the biggest thing, the, the main thing that I want you to, to get from it and to learn from it is that they're crying out to God. Whatever the situation, whatever the challenge, they're crying out and saying, you know what, I'm not able. I can't handle it. Whether it's big or small, I can't handle it. And, and so often, particularly in our American culture, we're like, well, no, I can do this. Pull myself up by my own bootstraps, Right? And yet, we need to call out to God because he's the only one who is capable. He's the only one who is able. And so he says, hear hear the voice of my supplication when I cry to thee for help, when I lift up my hands toward thy holy sanctuary. Now, that's one that kind of piqued my interest. I'm like, okay, what's this all about? This idea of lifting up his, his hands. I mean, wait a minute. Is, Is he saying we're supposed to be Pentecostals here or... No, no. Dig into it. I, I would encourage you, look that phrase up. Look up that phrase of lifting hands and, and see what the uses are. Now, I'm going to tell you, but I, I would encourage you to go ahead and do it for yourself. Don't take my word for it. But you start seeing the ways in which that's listed and the ways that that happens throughout Scripture. And you're going to find a couple of themes and a couple of, of ways in which people will lift their hands. Um, one of them is to be a surrender. So like in battle, I've been fighting against God, and then I say, you know what? I'm done. I'm not going to fight. I raise my hands, I lift my hands, and I surrender. We're used to that idea. Another way in which you'll see this idea of raising or lifting up hands is in prayer. They would pray to God, and they'd say, you know what, God? I'm trusting you. It's not me, it's you. I'm trusting you. And then the third way that we see it come up uh, throughout Scripture is as a blessing. To when, when the, particularly the priests, would bless the people, they would lift their hand towards the people and bless them. And so those, those are the three ways in which this comes up. Now, obviously, I think that this is, is being used of in prayer. I think that that makes the most sense in this context and fits. And he's saying, when I lift my hands, when I pray toward, how did he phrase it in this one? Toward thy holy sanctuary. Well, what is that? What's that talking about? Here, David is looking towards the holy of holies. That's, that's the idea of the sanctuary, the inner place, the place where God decided to meet with people. He's, he's praying in that direction. And he's saying, you know what? I, I lift my hands. I'm praying towards you. I want to do things your way not my way. 
It's, it is the inner part of, that, that word, the sanctuary, is the inner part of the temple or the tabernacle. And so he's, he's praying towards God, towards God's uh, place of abode or residence with man. He's saying, listen to me when I cry out to you for help. Verse 3 then has a little bit of a shift. This, this psalm is set up in three parts. And, and I, I found this interesting just from our artistic standing. It starts off with these two verses, and then the next section is three verses, and the final section is four verses. So it kind of builds as it goes along. And it starts off with this simple, you know what, God, I'm trusting you. I'm, I'm calling out to you because I, I have no other hope. I don't want to be like those who go down to the pit. Please listen to me. Please hear my cry. And pay attention to what I, what I am asking of you, requesting of you. And I'm praying to you and you only. We get into verse 3, uh, 3, 4, and 5 is going to be the second section. Like I said, it's slightly larger than the others, <clears throat> than the previous one. And so it's kind of this, this building that's happening in the song itself. And he says in verse 3, Do not drag me away with the wicked. The, the idea of wicked is a criminal. Don't, don't drag me away like I'm getting thrown into prison. Another option for that idea of a pit is prison. And so he's, he's saying, please, don't, don't throw me into prison. Don't drag me away and cast me off like that. I don't want to be associated with the wicked, with the criminals. Um, <clears throat> do not drag me away with the wicked and with those who work iniquity. What that comes down to is the idea of troublemakers. I don't want to be like them. Now, you'll recall, all the way back at the beginning of our study, we saw that there are two types of people, right? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scoffers, right? You remember that one? But, or in contrast, his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law, he meditates day and night. Well, here we have that same theme coming up again. Don't drag me away and throw me into prison like the criminals or like those troublemakers, specifying what type of people, the end of verse 3, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their heart. They're hypocrites. They're backwards. They're they're coming up and they're saying, oh yeah, everything's great. It's going to be wonderful, peace and safety. And and the the word there is shalom. It's the idea of like completeness and and all is good in the world. But they have in their hearts this idea of evil, bad things. They're they're planning to do mischief. And and that idea of evil, it's not like the terrible, wicked sin of of murdering and, and things of that nature. It's just causing problems, causing difficulties. I'm sure that we can think of people who are like that, who that's just what they do. They say all the right things, they, they talk really nice, but they do calamity and chaos. And that's, that's what he's saying. I don't want to be like them. Don't make me like them. Don't drag me away like them. Instead, requite, it just means give to them. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their practices. This is, this is a great example of, of one of the themes that comes up multiple times. The psalmist is saying, hey, you are a just God, and I want you to do justice. Give to the evil people what they deserve. As, as we go through this, he, he says it a couple of different ways. Uh, requite to them or give to them according to their work, according to the evil of their practices. Requite to them or give to them according to the deeds of their hands. Repay them their recompense. My grandma used to use the phrase, give them their comeuppance. I, I take it you're familiar with that phrase, right? What, what they deserve. Even in that, I found it fascinating. He doesn't say, wipe them out and destroy them all utterly. He wants what is just. He wants what is right and what is good to go back to them. Give them what they deserve, not all of the hatred that I could possibly want on them. Okay? He's not trying to be vengeful or vindictive or seeking punishment for them. He's just saying, God, be just. Give them what they deserve. And, and he's separating himself from that. Do not draw me away like that. Why? Verse 5, why do they deserve certain things? 
because they do not regard the works of the Lord nor the deeds of his hands. He will tear them down and not build them up. This is one of those great examples of the artistic uh, nature of the Psalms. There are two things that the evil or the wicked or the criminals or the, the calamity makers have. They have works and deeds. Well, he uses the same words, works and deeds, in the next section. So this is, this is an artistic pairing that happens. And David is saying they focus on their own things. They're all about doing their own deeds and their own works, and that's what they want to do instead of regarding or paying attention to or noticing the works of God. So they're self-centered instead of God-centered. And that's the theme. That's the idea that he's saying, I don't want to be like them. I don't want to be drawn away like them, and so I call out to God. So we start to see this, this picture, this, this painting that's being made of David is expressing this idea in, in song, in poetic form, and, and we're getting an idea that what he's saying, what he's picturing is, you know, something's, something's not right. Something's a bit off. And it's entirely possible that it's his own focus, that he's kind of gotten his eyes off of God. He's focused the wrong way. Or it could be some major thing going on and people have been attacking him. We don't, we don't know for sure, like I said. But we, we're getting this, this picture, this idea, and he's saying, I don't want to be like them. I want to separate myself from the evil, from the wicked ones, the ones who do calamity, the ones who are just self-centered instead because, or because they don't focus on God. They don't have their attention to him. They don't, they don't regard or look at the works that he does, the deeds that he does. I don't want to be like them. And so he takes action. He does something. He says, I'm going to call out to God. I'm going to cry out to him. I'm going to do what we saw in the first two verses. And he doesn't want God to not hear him. He doesn't want God to be deaf to him. So then we get to the, the last section. Section three, it's the longest of the section. So like I said, there's, there's this building that happens through this psalm. He says, blessed be the Lord because he has heard the voice of my supplication. All right, now this, this gets really, really cool. And I, I may not have left myself enough time to dig into it, but I'm going to try. <clears throat> blessed. We, we see um, in Psalm chapter 1, we saw this word. And this is one of those little bit unfortunate for the English language that uses the same word for two different ideas. In Psalm chapter 1, we saw blessed, and it was happy is, Right? And, and that's a great way of putting it because we are blessed when we, we are happy, we are joyous. Well, this is a different word that's also translated blessed. So this is a good example of why you ought to be using like an a, um, interlinear or using a, a, some study resources to be able to understand which of these words is being used. Because he's not saying, God, be happy. What he's saying is this, this version or this idea of blessed roots in the idea of bowing the knee. And so he is worshiping, he's bowing down to, and he's saying, I am, I am kneeling before you, God. I am honoring you, I'm reverencing you. Um, the idea starts off with to bend the knee, but it also can be used of salute. So he's, he's just giving respect, he's honoring, he's saluting God. The, another idea is to make to prosper, that, that fits in that same word. And so he's expressing a desire that the ways of God prosper and go well instead of his own ways or instead of focusing on himself. And so he says, blessed be the Lord. So it's, it is important to make sure you know which of the words is being used, whether it's happy or I bow the knee. And they're, they're two different words and they, they do different things. So when you come across the word blessed in Psalms, make sure you check that one out. But blessed be the Lord, because he has heard the voice of my supplication. Now rewind a little bit. I know I've covered a lot, but you'll notice back in the first section, he said, um, hear the voice of my supplication. He's putting it out as a request and as a desire. And yet, before he even gets done with the song, he says, God, I know you already heard me. You heard my request. And so there's, there's this amazing thing of, of a level of confidence 
that he is expressing. And, and on the first one, I said that it's an imperfect. It's like a continuous thing, right? Well, here it is a perfect. It's been done. It's solid. It's complete. He knows God has heard the voice of his supplication. Continuing on very quickly, in verse 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. We already saw that God viewed, or that, that David viewed God as a solid place, as his rock. But now we see some more poetic language that expresses his protecting nature, that he um, is his enabling nature, that he is the strength and the shield. And as a result, in the middle of verse 7, my heart trusts in him and I am helped. So all through this, no matter what the issue is, you'll notice David calls out to God. He cries out to him. He says, listen to me. I don't want to be like them. I don't want to, to go my own way. I don't want to be cast into a pit. I don't want to, to do evil, to neglect you. And now he gets down to the end and he's like, God, I know that you've heard me. And because you have heard me, I praise you. I bless you. I bow my knee to you. You are my strength. You are my shield. I trust in you. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart exults and with my song, I shall thank him. So the whole reason that he's put together this psalm is to praise God, to thank God for the fact that he hears when David calls out. Whatever the calamity, whatever the problem is, he knows that God will listen to him. Not just listen in one ear and out the other, but actually hear and take action based on. So there's this confidence. Even though there's sorrow, even though there's a problem, even though whatever it is, whether it's a scraped knee or having to get shots or a broken arm or a bad day or a bad date or who knows, whatever the issue might be, David calls out to God and is confident that God has heard and will respond to him. Then we have something that's, that's interesting. Right at the last two verses, there's a change in who he's talking to or to, talking about. It goes from the Lord is my strength in verse 7. In verse 8, he says the Lord is their strength. Now, if, if you're not paying attention, you might gloss right over that. But David makes a shift in this. He's been very self-centered and self-focused about his relationship with God. Not, not in the bad way that the, the evil and the wicked are, but just like, I'm calling out to God. I want him to answer me. Please, Lord, don't leave me here. Take care of me. I, I'm confident in you. I'm confident that you will respond to me. But now he makes a shift. And he says, the Lord is my strength, and then shifts to the Lord is their strength. And it, it'll catch you off guard until you read the rest of it. He says, The Lord is their strength. He is a saving defense to his anointed. Save thy people. Bless thine inheritance. Be their shepherd also and carry them forever. So let me, let me sum this psalm up a little bit. It starts off, whatever the issue was, we don't know. But David had a, had a challenge, had a problem. And so rather than trying to deal with it himself, rather than trying to fix everything himself, he just calls out to God. He says, God, you are able. I'm not, you are. I trust you. I rely on you. I don't want to be like the wicked who do their own thing and go their own way and cause calamity because I want to know you. I want to regard you or look to you as the answer. I praise you. I bow the knee to you because you are my strength and my shield. And then he shifts and he makes basically a supplication even for his people, for the nation of Israel. He says, I want them to have the same relationship with you that I have. I want them to experience you as their strength, the way that I experience you as my strength. I want, him, I want, I want you, God, to be their saving defense, the way that you're my defense I want you to save your people and bless them the way that you have saved me and blessed me. Be their shepherd, which, again, this is a theme throughout the book of Psalms. One of, one of the favorite, most loved Psalms is Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd. Well, this word, this idea here, he's asking God to be their 
shepherd, to feed them, to care for them, to tend them, to take care of them. So not only is he a solid place, not only is he a shield and a defense, not only is he the strength, he's also recognizing that God is their provider, their feeder, the one who takes care of, tends them like sheep. So all of these different pictures are ways in which David is expressing really what comes down to a very simple concept and a simple idea. And I always like to end with the so what? What do we do with this? We could easily read through this, oh, it's a great piece of art, it's a beautiful song, you know, yada, yada. Or we could take something from it. This one and, and really any of the laments, any of the songs that talk about calling out to God, I think the main takeaway, the big deal that we have is whatever it is, whether it's major and big and huge or minor and tiny like a, a stub toe or scraped knee, we need to be like kids who run to their mothers and instead run to God and say, God, I call out to you. I cry out to you. Whatever the, the issue, whatever the problem, we may think that it's massive and huge and more than we can take, or we may think it's small and tiny and really of no importance. And yet all of those, we need to call out to God, turn them over to Him, because there's nothing so small that He doesn't care and nothing so big that He can't handle it. So, so what? Whatever it is, cry out to God, have confidence in Him, and trust Him. Because, just like David said, he has heard the voice of my supplication. He answers prayer. So we need to call out to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you do hear us. Thank you that you do care. It's so easy to think that we're all alone, dealing with problems and challenges and issues and stuff of life. And yet, when we go through the Psalms, we see so often how they just cry out to you, turn it over to you. Lord, help us to be people that do that. Help us not to try and think that we can fix it ourselves, but just turn to you in humble acknowledgement of who you are. We know your works. We know your deeds. We know your power. Help us to trust it. Help us, Lord, to rely on you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.